The reality is, as information came out from the Commerce Department, Labor Department, and the Census Bureau, that the economy of the United States was doing better than expected and continues to do better than expected and quite possibly is accelerating, the market started down because it's perverse. Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure, where we will say such exciting things as, hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we will uh, stroke our beards, which you should be able to hear to some extent through the microphone. And act like we know things. Uh, we're going to talk about the economy. This is the personal wealth coach. And before we get talking about the economy, first, this is our first week back from vacation. So we may be stumbling and moaning like zombies as we try to speak intelligibly for two hours. That isn't necessarily the standard we usually keep. But after a week of rest, we should have some intelligibility to us, I would assume. Hopefully, uh, past performance is no guarantee of future intelligibility. I say that 10 times fast. All right, so that was our first disclosure. We're back from vacation and maybe still have a little bit of vacation mind, which is good for us, maybe not for everybody else. Uh, so every disclosure has an opposite. Uh, next, we are bald. We are bearded. We are two people that like to think about the economy and economics in general and then have weird observations to make and tell. Uh, so as the personal wealth coach, the first regulatory disclosure should tell the other ones. We like bad puns. That's not a regulatory disclosure, but that's just ethical to say that in advance before we destroy anyone who cannot take bad puns. Um, uh, the SEC, however, requires us to say some things because the two people that are talking well, there's only one of us talking at the moment, but there's two people willing to talk on this program um, are the principals at a firm called The Personal Wealth Coach. This radio program is called The Personal Wealth Coach. The firm is registered with the SEC to give fiduciary investment advice, and that's not something we can do on the air. Um, well, then what are you guys doing if you can't advise us what to do? Why, why are we even listening? I don't know why you're listening. I'm, I didn't endorse this program in it, but... I guess, I guess we did endorse this program, didn't we? Um, right. So what we're going to try to do is give you education because uh, advice requires confidentiality and knowing everybody that's listening. And while we believe we may know all two that are listening, um, it's still not private. So we can't give advice on the air. We have to give education on the air. So we'll be talking about the economy in general, some concepts about how to act in economic situations uh, and in personal finance. Um, just because the firm is registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC believes that we are some anointed individuals. It's just those are the people that regulate us. Uh, they're required to be mentioned and also required when mentioning them to say that they don't particularly like us or dislike us. They're just out there doing their job. Okay. Um, next up, um, uh, we don't pay for this program as weird as that is on a Saturday morning. And we've been just talking to the staff over at town square over the past week about this. Um, 
We started doing this radio program, what, Older Baldy, uh, you started in 96. Nin- right, 1996. That's, that's the 20th century, uh, 1996. Uh, and I started in 1998. I did a few episodes in 97 with you. And we started because uh, you had done a radio program uh, uh, before in your youth. You'd been a DJ. And you had done a television program that you had stopped because you didn't like to have to go in and spend so much time in makeup before going on the television. So the folks over at KTM, which was a very small locally owned business at the time, said, hey, we've got some time over here. And I bet if you come over, we can get advertising that we can't get right now because we're not playing anything anybody wants to listen to. So we came, or so you came over for an hour spot. And then they said, you're doing so well and we're selling so much advertisement. Why don't we bring you in for two hours instead of one? And you said, I need help. So Elder Baldy asked Younger Baldy. Jeff asked Jake. Uh, Younger Baldy is the son of Older Baldy, by the way. We've been working together for a long time and that genetically breeds insanity. Uh, It is possible that some people can work with their family for long periods of time without. But I haven't met them yet. So we're insane. That's the other disclosure. Anyway, the whole of it is that we've been, I think, through six owners of this station over the years. And eventually we started buying advertising on the station because the station was failing. And uh, we jumped on board and said, we like this station. We don't want it to go away. Well, now it's been purchased and purchased and purchased. And the people who own it now are great at AM. But uh, it's kind of a strange, what, we're not paying for a Saturday morning program. Why are we not paying for it? Isn't this paid commercial advertisement? Nope, it's not. Uh, we talk about the economy because of Adam Smith, the father of capitalism, and his proposal that if you educate the world in how to make better decisions, the world usually makes better decisions. And so everybody gets better because of that. That's the whole invisible hand concept. If you're not impeding people and you give them more tools to do more things, they do more things. It's amazing. So I know that sounds altruistic and weird. We have gotten business from this radio program over the years as well. A lot of our clients listened to this radio program and came to us. And I know this is a extremely long-winded statement about nothing to do with economics, more just our history. But I think it's important every once in a while to dig back into what is this? We came from a time in AM where paid commercial programming and Saturday mornings was not just what was expected. Uh, And now we're, this is ancient history, but when we started at KTIM, it was in the old big studio. This this is downtown, downtown Downtown temple. And it's, it was built in the 1930s, 40s. And it was, it's a, it's a big building. Uh, And it was a center of commerce. And when we were in there, there were, there was a big studio with multiple microphones in it. And then there were two adjoining studios with these big windows, like you would see on television about a radio studio where where the people behind the windows have microphones too, and they're piping in different things. And we had the, 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 the news type was coming in. It was really typing away as, as the news was coming in on a strip of paper in the other room. And they were still playing eight tracks for the, um, the spots for, for advertising and so on. So it had essentially, that studio was a time capsule from the 1960s. 
that we got to experience again being in there for a while until that studio was sold and they moved to another place and then this place over here. Now there's a building with a whole bunch of radio studios in it um, and they're all tiny and most of the time nobody's actually behind the microphone because computers do that now. So, Which is the future, by the way, in a lot of jobs. Yes, but in the case of AM radio, I know a lot of people that do not have AM radios in their cars anymore. It is but not the, something that is coming standard in automobiles. Even, even FM, uh, here in, in the, I say here, in the building where the KTEM room studio is, mm-hmm. which is just basically a broom closet, um, there are a whole series of radio stations all owned by Town Square. Right. And most of them do not have a person sitting there with a microphone playing music and doing the things that if you tune into the <laughs> FM radio station, they're being, it's all being done by a computer. Right. That's, which is, that's which what is I just the, said. It's yeah. the future in, in so many jobs. Uh, there were times when we would go in there in the recent past before COVID. I don't know if that's recent past or not. Uh, so there were times when we would go in there and we would be the only ones in the building. Yep, there were a number of times during COVID that we would show up at the building and it was locked and they had changed the combinations. And so we just. That was pre COVID, I think. During COVID, I went several times like that. That's why I started doing remote because pre COVID, Mm. that happened enough times. But during COVID, it was just, that was the norm. So, I mean, so the, the, the world of radio has changed. It's a nice little. A microcosm of what's coming for other areas. But we haven't finished our disclosures. I went into a long educational, not at all. It was my story, not history. Uh, I don't think enough people care about it to become history. But for our story, it was kind of fun. Uh, you want to finish the, the disclosures? Uh, the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. But we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We do, however, guarantee and warranty that all unsaid information is incomplete. There, we have. I thought about that, but I'm not sure it's correct. But go ahead. Well, did you say it? Did, did I say what? The what you thought about? What I've thought about is you say that anything we don't say is incomplete, and I think there's a lot of subjects that there's a lot said on where it would be more complete if nobody said anything. Well, I'm not going to say anything about that. Okay. So there. Yeah. So what happened this week in the market? Well, it slipped a little bit. It Actually, on Monday and half a day on Tuesday, it was doing quite well. And then some terrible things happened. Later on, the pundits were saying the reason the market started downhill is it was concerned about the possible spread of the war in Israel to the oil-producing countries and running the price of oil up. Or that Congress was, and, and it did. It was not coincidental that it, uh, it, the, the market started sliding down as the Republicans had votes and were unable to select a speaker. And, and in case you haven't already heard that, the problem with that is that if on November 17th we don't have a budget, there's a lot of financial dislocation going to occur in the United States, and markets don't like that, and so they were sliding south. The reality is, as information came out from the Commerce Department, Labor Department, and the Census Bureau, that the economy of the United States was doing better than expected and continues to do better than expected and quite possibly is accelerating, the market started down because it's perverse. Uh, The concern, at least the official commentary, was that 
the market, the, the economy accelerating will cause the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates more, which will put us into a recession. So what they're saying is because the economy is doing so well, we're likely to have a recession, which is frankly that, dumb. Yeah, that's not how that's it works. That's the thing I can say about it. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work it's, that way. But it's, it's like a conditioned response. Right. It's like the market for the past year has been flinching about good news because they expect that the good news is going to cause the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates again, which might put us into a recession. Well, now the good news is coming out. And what did Jerome Powell say? Well, I'm likely to keep the interest rates just where they are for a while. So uh, the, the flinch was mm, is more of a flinch based on memory than on what's happening right now. So what happened is the stock market represented by the S&P 500 dropped 2.39% for the week. It closed at 42.24.16, leaving but, it pretty much where it was back in May. And just but it's still just so that we can maintain an even keel here, 2.39 times 52 is if that drop were to continue through the rest of the year like this, it would be a 124% drop in the market, which is not possible. So we're showing you that annualizing returns is silly. So go ahead. Okay. Um, now I'm confused. Okay. It's, it's, still, <laughs> it's still about 18% higher than it was last October, in the middle of October, about where we are now. Uh, it's up 18% in the last, roughly the last year. It's about 10, it's up about 10% this year, but it remains, it is now 12% lower than its record high in early 2022. So the question is, is the market up or down? Um, and the answer is, it all depends on when you measure from. It's down if from you, the top and up for almost anybody else that got in before that. Right. And up from October of last year. So the market is middling in between and bumping up and down in what we call a trading range. And it really can't make up its mind whether the fact that the United States economy is really, really healthy is good news or bad news. So it kind of wanders around. So uh, we also track the uh, CRSP U.S. Mid-Cap Value Index. It joined in the slide. It dropped 2.68% uh, to 2177.71. If it's any consolidation, it's any consolation rather, the market slippage this week was in concert with all the major markets around the world. Literally every major market in the world slipped at about the same time. So why... What does the United States got to do with it? The fact is that the United States is the dominant economy on the planet. And if the United States can't pass a budget, then the rest of the world is going to suffer as well as probably us. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the U.S. Treasury note, 10-year U.S. Treasury note, which is the benchmark for all the bond and other interest rates in the United States, although it's sometimes referred to it directly and sometimes indirectly, it fell in value. Now, I don't normally say that. What happened is this yield rose to 4.93%. Briefly, on Thursday, it was above 5%. That is the highest it's been in 16 years. Uh, and if you back up 16 years, you'll recognize that I'm talking about 2007, um, when the Fed was really trying to slow things down. But it is when interest rates go up, when the yield on bonds go up, it's not because somebody raised the yield on the 10-year note. It's because the value of the 10-year note fell so that, to give you an example, if you have a $1,000 bond and it's paying uh, 3%, you get $30 a year. 
If it's paying 5%, you get $50 a year. Well, that's cool. The issue is if it's paying 3% and it drops 50%, which by the way, a lot of the treasury securities, longer term treasury securities have done in the past few years, your 3% becomes 6% without the bond interest ever changing. It's just the fact that the the value of the bond dropped. And the way it became 6% is if you bought that $1,000 bond, you could probably buy it for around $500 and it's been, it's still paying the same amount of money. It's still paying the $30, but the $30 is now 6% of the $500 you paid for the bond. Now that's a bit oversimplified, but that's, that's what's going on is the bonds. It doesn't, it doesn't sound simplified. Anytime we try to explain this, as simple as we try to make it. The easiest way I can say it is loans on the market get more expensive when fewer people are offering them and less expensive when more people are offering them and fewer people are offering them right now. So they're more expensive. If you had bought three years ago, a portfolio of very long-term treasuries, and there's some funds that do that literally, uh, like 20 and 30 year treasury securities, you would have seen about a 50% drop in the resale value of that portfolio, not counting the interest they paid you over the three-year period. And that's how bad the bear market is in bonds. By the way, this is the worst bear market in bonds, treasury bonds, since we have been keeping records of such things. Yeah, And it doesn't make the headlines, but if you had a bond portfolio or if you had a long-term bond fund, uh, or if you were a bank and had a bunch of long-term treasuries, you're definitely feeling the pain right now, which is one of the issues with the banking with the banking crisis that occurred earlier, uh, is that banks have a lot of long-term treasuries they purchased when interest rates are really, really low, so they could pay a slightly higher interest rate because they were paying like 3%. And now they're, they have collapsed in value. And the banks are, they're going to hold them to maturity and the Treasury and the Federal Reserve have said we're gonna we'll make you whole if they make a run on you. But it's it, there's some people bleeding through the eyes out there who had long-term bond portfolios, and that's something that I think we have not seen the end of yet. Last thing in the markets is the West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, the w, WTI. We we follow that one instead of Brent, which is the global standard, and it's at about eighty nine oh two. Uh, it, it bumped up to about 90 at one point and then slipped back down again. But it, it, the interesting thing here is oil during a Israeli-Arab war typically surges to record highs. It hasn't. It's risen some. And the rising is partially because of the potential for there to be an obstruction to oil shipments. But perhaps more so because the United States economy is revving up and we will be using more oil as a result. So that's the market. Thank you. Are you having yeah, a good time? I'm having a good time. I'm very pleased listening to you and learning things as I listen to you, as usual. Uh, it's an interesting reversal. Um, I still economy, learn from you. Don't worry. We, we, we <laughs> were talking last hour particularly about the economy. The economy is doing exceptionally well. As a matter of fact, I think when the third quarter GDP is officially released, which will still be a little while before that happens, I think we're going to see it to be unusually high. Um, every indication is it's going to be in the upper threes at this point, upper 3% range, uh, which is frankly a little faster than we are capable of supporting because of our infrastructure. We Once we get sufficiently large, you have the law of diminishing returns come in and our highways are jammed, our railroads are jammed, our airports are jammed. There's only so much we can do. And the 
estimate by the Fed and some other people about the maximum sustainable growth in the United States economy is about 1.8 to 2 percent is on the up, way on the upper end. So when it comes in in the upper threes, that means it needs to slow down. Is it so? Is it going to slow down? I am confident it will because we can't grow that fast. But I'm also confident that what will slow it down is the rising longer term interest rates, not the short term rates. And I think the Federal Reserve has got that figured out. I don't think they're going to raise rates again unless something unusual happens that is not foreseeable by me or anybody else. Why? Well, because longer term interest rates are rising nicely and that will slow the economy. Why? How does that work? Businesses will not expand as fast if loans are expensive to get as they will if loans are cheap to get. If you got a cheap loan, you don't have to have a high profit margin on whatever it is you're borrowing money for to foresee making money in the future. If you've got 2% interest rates and you can borrow money at 2%, uh, you can borrow a lot of money and not make a lot of money with it and still come out ahead. If you, But at 7%, and, and that's where things are going, it's not unusual to see 7% loan interest rates. As a matter of fact, the, the kind of the standard we look at is a fully collateralized house loan, we call a mortgage, the uh, the uh, uh, Freddie Mac did a survey of everybody that's doing that and said the average, mor- the median mortgage in the United States today is 7.63% new mortgage coming out, which is pretty stout. Uh, and it normally that would cause the price of houses to fall. It hasn't. Price of houses continue to rise. Why is it? Con- why do they continue to rise? And this is what's fascinating to us geeks. They continue to rise because interest rates are so high. Now, that is backwards. Normally, when interest rates go down, more people buy houses, supply and demand says more houses are getting sold, prices go up. But there's a terrible shortage of houses for sale. Why? For example, if I were uh, of a mind to sell my house and move, and I've thought about this at various times, to someplace that's not as hot in the summertime, I have a 2.3% mortgage on my house. Uh, If I sold my house and I bought another house someplace that's cooler, I and I had done so this week, I would pay 7.39% on that one. That's not good. Now, if you can afford to do it with cash, and a lot of people are being able to afford to do it with cash, although it's becoming less and less, that's a different story. But we probably will see the price of housing level off at some point in the not too, dust, too far distant future. But right now, new houses are the, are the only game in town. And there's very, very few older houses being sold, and it is they're being sold when people get old and move out of them, uh, or are forced to move from one place to another. So, with great disparity in interest rates that we're seeing, produces a shortage of houses for sale, which raises the price of houses as long as the demand is there. And why is the demand there? Because people are making a lot more money than they made before, which is why the Federal Reserve is trying to tone things down. And I think things are toning down. We mentioned this last hour, but the Census Bureau has a wonderful index of everything. It's basically all the stuff they track in the economy. And it was wild and crazy since the uh, since the since the pandemic. But over the last six months, it's it is stabilized and is slowly rising. So we see. A lot of evidence that the economy is doing well. It's slowly growing. It's growing at what I think on the long term is a sustainable rate of speed. I don't see a major recession on the horizon. It, it could happen. It could always happen. Uh, and, and things are moving along really quite comfortably. Unemployment, let's not forget the fact that unemployment remained, the, the Labor Department announced that it remains at 3.8%, which is amazingly low. Matter of fact, it's lower than what was con- recently considered by academics to be full employment, which is 4% unemployment. Because 4% of the people are at any given moment are moving from job to job just because they do that. So 
3.8% unemployment in, is a pretty hot job market. And, and we're cruising along very nicely with nearly with full employment, with uh, prices stabilizing, with everything running pretty well. What is the one threat that I see? And, and, and yeah, by the way, war in the Middle East is not a major threat to our economy. Um, and, and there's very, very good reasons for that if you look at it, because any war that occurs in the Middle East would not involve the major oil producers. They have basically said unequivocally they are not supporting the Palestinians. So where are we, where are we going from here? What, what is the threat? Frankly, the threat is if this deadlock continues in the House of Representatives by the majority party and we don't pass a budget for an extended period of time, which is at this moment possible, that would potentially put us into recession. That would put a lot of people out of work. That would mean a lot of money that doesn't get spent because people don't have the money to spend it because the federal government is the largest employer in the United States. And if it effectively lays off its entire workforce because it's not paying them, that would be a major blow to the economy. That combined with high interest rates could easily put us into a recession. But that's the big threat I see on the horizon right now. I agree with that. Um, th- oh, good. We're, we're looking ahead and seeing, you know, a lot of you said this earlier, the soothsayers were saying sooth and that we're supposed to be in a recession as called by some of the greatest economic minds of our time over the last six months or so, but we're not there. And there was a headline this week in the Wall Street Journal, uh, consensus seems to be building around no recession. Um, Well, I'm glad they finally caught up with us. Right. So why... Again, we've said this for a while. We didn't expect a recession, not because the yield curve was not a good reading indicator or the leading indicators were bad. Anybody that's listened to us for any length of time knows we love the leading indicators as a predictor, that the yield curve is a fantastic usable indicator in the right circumstances. But when we had a huge amount of money come into our system from stimuluses, sitting there, not being used at great momentum, supported our spending through a time when our pay was lower than inflation. Now our pay is caught back up to above inflation and we have excess cash in our bank. And that's when you measure that, it was easy to say, hey, we weren't going to have a recession. Our interest rates are going to be higher for a lot longer than a lot of people think. A lot of the economists that were saying we're going to have a recession and then we're going to see interest rates drop We were saying, no, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be expensive for a while. Why? Well, because the Federal Reserve has to sell a huge amount of bonds back into the market, and they're going to keep doing it for a while, easily into 2025. That means interest rates are going to stay high for a while, which is not great for fast growth, but we didn't have a recession. Minor minor correction there. I just read this today. The the they have stopped selling bonds. They're not selling bonds into the market right now. They're just not renewing them when they mature. That's not true. That's what was announced. That was in the paper today. Okay. The Wall Um, Street Journal. Yeah, I've looked at their meeting notes. They are still selling bonds into the market. They're still Mm. selling $90 billion a month. That's what they have on their statement. Okay. Well, the Wall Street Journal was saying today what they have done is the federal government has to go out and borrow the money from somebody other than the Federal Reserve when they're borrowing money using treasury securities, which is why the interest rates have been going up because the Fed is not buying anymore. I I just read that today and I know that's different from what we've seen in the past. Okay. Um, And on their implementation note as of their September 20th agreement, they said that they are continuing to 
to $35 billion in mortgage-backed securities and $60 billion per month of federal of treasuries. So that's mm. out there. They're still doing it regardless of what the media thinks is going on. But in the meantime, we've run out of time for this hour. If you would, however, like to talk to us off the air, we do give investment advice at the fiduciary level for folks of relatively high net worth, foundations, trusts, corporations as well. Um, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we have uh, voicemail waiting during the weekend, real live people during the week, locally at 254-947-1111. Or toll free, should you still have a landline, 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can read our newsletter, sign up for our newsletter. It comes out every Friday evening, and I love it. I'm prejudiced. Uh, you can contact us through the contact form or email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. Find our podcast wherever you find them. Until next hour. This has been the Personal Wealth Coach.